Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. I don't know about about you all, but sometimes I I like to understand things too much. Uh, There are some things in life that I want to understand so much, it keeps me from engaging in them. And then there are other things in life that I'm totally inconsistent about. I don't have to understand them at all, and I'm totally okay to engage with them. Like I said, I was traveling this week. I flew on an airplane. I have no knowledge or intelligence about... um, aerodynamics or how that works, the uh, just the concepts of how a plane can fly and carry all of those people above the ground, yet it's possible and I'm willing to, to participate in that. And so this is where I'm at with the Lord right now. I feel like I've been in a season of a lot of growth with the Lord, um, but I have had some resistance in my heart um, toward new things and toward going deeper with Him because they're surpassing my understanding. They're surpassing uh, my capacity of, of comfort and my ability to understand. And so I've been reading in the Gospel of Mark, and that's where I'm going to be uh, sharing from this evening. And, and the Lord has kind of given me this picture, this dichotomy of, of two types of, of people that, that I can be. And one is a Pharisee and one is a beggar. And, uh, and just to paint a picture uh, in context of what those would look like uh, scripturally, a, a Pharisee uh, would be, um, we could say a scribe, Pharisee, Sadducee, kind of representing the same type of person, someone that in in this time, uh, during Jesus's lifetime, they were highly esteemed. Uh, They were probably well put together on the exterior. They were probably respected in terms of the knowledge that they had um, and the status that they carried um, in in the religious and Jewish community. So that's kind of the picture of, um, of a Pharisee. Or, or a Sadducee or, or a scribe. And so then you've got a picture of a, a beggar. And really, that's not that different than a beggar in our culture today. We read about a lot of different beggars in New Testament uh, because they were always the one that, it, that seemed to experience miracles, people who came before, before Jesus begging. And so um, I feel like I'm in this place that the Lord is like, you can be one or the other. You can be a Pharisee page or you can be a beggar. And um, I don't know that I've ever had ambitions until now of being a beggar, of being someone who is so hungry uh, for something that I can't get from myself that I, I have to beg for it. And, and I'm going to dive, dive into that. God is a good father and he's a great provider. And so when I'm talking about begging, I'm not talking about uh, making loud noises before him and begging him for provision in my life. I'm talking about coming before him with such desperation that I'm willing to say, I don't surrender. I'm willing to, or I do surrender, I'm willing to be totally undignified, totally without understanding and coming before him and saying, I just need you, Lord. And so we're going to look at this picture of of a Pharisee and and a beggar um, in context of scripture and some passages from Mark. Um, Last week, my stepdad went through open heart surgery. He had a triple bypass, um, which is a big 
deal. It was a major surgery. We went to the Oklahoma Heart Institute, and they took amazing care of him. It was about a five-hour procedure, and it, it really blows my mind to think that in a matter of five hours, someone's heart can go from almost non-functional um, to, to nearly brand new in, in terms of, of surgery and medical technology. And so at the end of the surgery, um, a, a surgery nurse came out and asked my mom and those of us waiting, waiting on my stepdad if we wanted to see video footage of his heart. And so a little bit reluctantly, we said, sure. And so she pulls up her iPhone and and airdrops this video to us. And it's of the heart surgeon. And he's literally, he's kind of holding my stepdad's heart in his hand. And he's showing us where he's like removed these areas of blockage, these veins and arteries that were blocked. And he's transplanted new ones in. And so he's holding his heart and he's talking about it. And he's saying, look how healthy it is. Look how much life is left in this. And then he says, okay, I'm going to lower your heart back down and he kind of lowers it back into the cavity. But it was just, the video was awe-inspiring. And my takeaway from that was, was like, that is what the Lord does so often in our hearts when he's working within us. And just like that procedure and the things that that doctor was describing, I, I really don't understand them. I have no human uh, capacity or understanding. I'm, I'm not a, a cardiologist. I'm not a, I'm not a heart surgeon. Um, I don't understand what he was talking about, but yet I could see the evidence of life and beating in this heart. And so I, I think that we come to a place with the Lord, or I don't think it, I, I know it, that we have to choose a pathway. Like, do you want to go down the pathway of, of life? He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And you go down that through faith and faith alone by grace. Or do you want to stay on this pathway of understanding that's not going to get you very far because they don't coexist together for very long. Faith and understanding, they they're not, they don't complement each other. It, it's, it's one without the other. The Lord, according to Ephesians, He does supply um, more than what we need. He supplies all that we need. So it gives us a measure to our faith that we need to be obedient to the things that He's asking us to do. But to wait and act on doing something until we have an understanding to do it, it's not going to get us very far. At least that's been my, that's been my experience. And so I just, I want to be totally vulnerable in saying this is a, it's a process and it's a place of where I'm at with the Lord right now. So even though I'm speaking to you and you're listening, I'm speaking to myself because these are things that the Lord is telling me in my, my communion and my, my time with him. So getting straight into the gospel of Mark. Um, right off the bat in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, um, the heading says, Jesus drives out an impure spirit. It says, they went to Capernaum. This is talking about Jesus and his first disciples. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. 
Skipping to verse 27, it says, The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching. And with with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. Verse 28, News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is just a side note, but I think it's super interesting that Jesus cast out his first demon in a synagogue, in a religious in a religious setting. Um, but, but in that, there was a confession made about the identity of, of Jesus. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And so because they were in the synagogue, we can probably assume that that the religious leaders in Capernaum were also right there because this was on the Sabbath. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and there was a confession made about who, who Jesus was from this unclean spirit. And so continuing in the passage, they're still in this community of Capernaum. And moving to verse 40, it says, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I want you to just hold on to that picture for a minute. Picture this man coming before Jesus. A man with leprosy came to him and he begged on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was filled with compassion. So as I talk about this choice of being a Pharisee or being a beggar, remember that imagery of the beggar, someone coming before Jesus with humility, uh, with a confession of his authority, and with just total faith in what the Lord is able to do. And so moving into Mark chapter 2. This is a few days later. Uh, They're still in Capernaum. It says in verse 2, they gathered in large numbers. This is talking about those that were coming to hear Jesus. And there was such a large number of them. um, There there wasn't room for people to, to come into this place where he was teaching. And so some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man's son, your sins are forgiven. So again, these men are coming kind of in the same matter as as the, the beggar with leprosy came. They are coming with confidence to get into the presence of Jesus, fully aware of his authority, and that if they can get their friend into his presence, that their friend is going to be healed and be okay. So, so again, the picture of being a beggar or being a Pharisee. Here, we're going to get the picture of a Pharisee. Verse 6, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I just want to stop right there, because this really sums up everything. Their desire to understand, you're going to see it over and over again in Scripture, they ask questions who is this? Why is he doing this? Why is he not doing that? How can he do that? And they never move beyond that. They never really experience or recognize the presence of Jesus as Lord, even though it's been confessed around them, even though they're seeing miracles, because they do not move out of this place of questioning and surrendering their understanding. Jesus knows when we're in that place. In verse 8, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit 
That's the same Holy Spirit inside of us that, that we have as believers that we're sealed with today. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? He goes on to to explain why he answered the way that he did. And then he refers to himself as the son of man, giving reference to to really uh, answering their question. Who is this man? How does he do these things uh, that he has done? They'd heard already confessed in the synagogue by the impure spirit. And then Jesus himself is identifying himself as the son of man with authority on earth. And Even with that, we're going to find out that they're not satisfied with answers. They have a greater need for understanding. And that need for understanding is just going to drive that tension and make it wider and wider, that chasm between them and experiencing the presence of Jesus as everyone else around them, these beggars, are doing. So we're going to continue in chapter 2, moving down to to verse 15. It's talking about how Jesus has called uh, Matthew or Levi, a tax collector. He's called him to be his disciple. In Mark 2, verse 15, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. And his disciples, um, for there were many who had followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he do this? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answers them. He answers um, with a response. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But I just want to point out again here, the Pharisees are so consumed with wanting to understand why he's doing what he's doing that they can't even see the lordship of Jesus. They can't see uh, the ministry, uh, the the present reality of, of what he is doing because they are consumed with their desire to understand and to have their questions answered. We're going to just move a few verses down, and we're going to see it a couple more times. Uh, Moving on to verse 18 in Mark chapter 2, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples are not fasting? Jesus gives a response again. It kind of seems like when you're in this... um, when you're in this place of wanting understanding, um, you want to understand why Jesus does some things and why he doesn't do other things, how he does certain things and why he doesn't do other things. And and I just think that when that when that is the heart of 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 where we are, as he says to to the Pharisees, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? That you're never going to get a satisfactory answer because Jesus answers every time, and then something comes up again, a new question, a new inquiry from the onlookers, the teachers, the Pharisees, the scribes. So moving into Mark chapter two, verse twenty-three, it says, "One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields as his." disciples walked along the way. They began to pick some of the heads of the grain. The Pharisees said to him, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus gives them a response. He identifies himself again as being the son of man and and also as being Lord and Lord of the Sabbath. So he gives this, he gives them a response about who he is, why they're doing what they're doing, but it still doesn't satisfy their need for understanding. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, a different time. 
Jesus went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were still looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely. Jesus, of course, asks the man to stretch out his hand, and he heals it. Moving on to verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from various regions. Moving on to verse 10. It says, He had healed many. There were He had healed so many that there were people with diseases that were pushing forward just to touch him. When the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone. I think about the people crowding in around Jesus, and they just wanted to touch him. They just wanted to experience him. They didn't need to have their questions answered. Whenever Jesus told the person that had the withered hand to to extend it and to stretch it out, they didn't stop and say, why? (laughs) They didn't stop and say, why? How is it possible that that you could heal my hand? With what authority are you healing my hand? Whenever Jesus performed miracles, people didn't care about how he did what he did or why he did what what he did. And I think it's because they just were experiencing the tangible presence of him, him around them. And so I, I think about all of these, all of these passages. And in Mark 5, we're going to look at, at two more folks that are kind of on the begging side of things that come to Jesus confessing his authority and just say, please come into this situation. Please bring your your healing and your life into this situation. But anyway, I think about myself and I think, where would I be? Would I be someone pressing in, begging for the presence of Jesus? Or would I be a Pharisee or, or a scribe standing in the back looking for a new way to accuse him about what was going on, uh, thinking of a new question to aid my unbelief, a new question um, to feed the doubt within my heart? And, um, and that's, that's tough because, like I said at the onset of this, I, th- I think sometimes, um, sometimes I can tend to be a Pharisee uh, more than, than a beggar. And, um, and that's really not who I, I want to be. I want to be so hungry for the Lord that I'm not, I'm not afraid or ashamed to rush into his presence, even if it's crowded, uh, to make make a way so that I can come and, and just be near him, even if that means that I don't get all of my questions, my questions answered. So moving on to Mark chapter 5. Jesus heals a man that's demon-possessed at the beginning of the chapter, and then in verse 21, it says, When Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was there. Then a synagogue leader named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, just like the beggar with leprosy that we talked about at the beginning of Mark. He pleaded earnestly with him, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had had a menstrual cycle for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And that happened. Her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering because she touched his cloak. 
And so Jesus has this exchange with this woman, and, and he tells her to go in peace, and he affirms her, her freedom. And then Jesus goes on to raise this little girl from the dead. But no one in that scenario, no one in either story, the synagogue leader Jairus or or the woman with the issue of blood that's unnamed except for the fact that he calls her a daughter. No one needed to stop and get understanding about who Jesus was, why he was going to act on their their behalf, how he could act on their behalf. And so this is kind of where where I am today. I feel like the Lord has just challenged me in this season by saying that, Paige, when your need to understand is greater than your need to interact with me, then you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be fulfilled. I want to say that again. When your need to understand is more when your need to understand is more important or it's greater or it's heavier or weightier than your need to connect with Jesus, then you're never going to be fulfilled. And so I, I feel like with circumstances of life, maybe there, there are tragedies that occur, there are plans that fail, and we get stuck in that same place of, of why. Um, we know that we have Jesus within us, but we want to know why something happened um, why he did act or didn't act. This, those questions of, of a Pharisee's heart are not specific to the gospel of Mark. Those come up in all forms of unbelief today. And so I just want to give you the opportunity to reflect and ask yourself, are you stuck in a place of why? Are you stuck in a place of questioning, and you've chosen not to move forward with Jesus until he answers your questions. I want to ask you, is your need to connect with the presence of Jesus greater than your need to understand why he does what he does or why he doesn't do what he doesn't do? The book of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So often, I just want to see the pathway totally mapped out. But the truth of the matter is that when you're stuck in a place of needing to know why, it's a condition of the heart, not of the mind. Jesus answered the question's of the Pharisees over and over again, and they still didn't get it. And so I think that uh, even if the Lord gave us a map of everything lined out in our life, this is where you're going to be a year from now. This is who you're going to marry. This is when you're going to have the baby that you've been praying for. Um, this is, is when this is going to occur or that's going to occur. I think even if he gave us a roadmap of those things, if our heart still had unbelief in it, it wouldn't be enough for our mind to see and comprehend what he's showing us. And so I think of uh, John, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 20. There's a, a famous passage there when Jesus is, is resurrected and he presents himself to his disciples again. Um, whenever he comes and, and meets with the disciples Thomas, um, who's one of one of the twins, is a disciple. He he wasn't there, 
And so um, reading the biblical account of this in John 20, verse 24, after Jesus has resurrected, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26 says, A week later, seven days later, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. I guess he just walked through the wall. I'm not sure. He can do whatever he wants. He's Jesus. Don't ask why. (laughs) Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I love that when Jesus has interactions with people, that it almost always ends with a confession of him and with praising him. Verse 29 says, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I just want to go back into this passage. It, it says that the disciples had, had seen Jesus a week prior to, to Thomas um, seeing Jesus. And... Um, Probably the only person that didn't have peace that week was was Thomas, and it's because he chose not to believe. He couldn't understand without seeing for himself what everyone else around him was describing, and that goes back. I'm not Thomas is not a Pharisee. That's that's not what I'm saying, but it, it goes back to to the heart of what I'm talking about, and that is is being a Pharisee or being being a beggar, someone um, who has to to have an understanding to um, to move forward with the Lord versus someone that that doesn't have to have an understanding. They just understand enough to know God is big, He is good, He is Lord, He's risen from the dead. He, he can take care of my problems in life. And so I just think, what was Thomas's week like because he refused? to believe. Like he declared it. He said, unless I see these things, I will not believe. And with a Pharisee's heart, when you're asking why, why not, how, how not, those are declarations. Those questions are declarations saying, I will not believe. I will not believe. But thank goodness for the grace of God here. I love that Jesus showed back up in a, in a very weird and unusual way. That happens that does not happen a lot to me that Jesus walks through a place like that. But I feel like Jesus shows up in, in moments that I'm not expecting him. And, and when he does, um, his redeeming presence is so good. I don't, I don't know about you ladies, but there have been so many times in, in my life that I feel like I've been like Thomas here, where I've said, this just can't happen unless this happens. And, and Jesus shows up and he, with, his presence. He brings peace and he brings the opportunity to reconcile what what we had declared would be otherwise impossible. It's the same thing that you see um, when Peter denies Jesus and then he gives him the opportunity to confess him as Lord over and over and over again. 
um, matching time for time the times that he had denied him. It's what you see with with Thomas here. And so uh, because Jesus is a, a redeemer of hearts and of souls and, and not only of that, but a restorer of, of moments and a, of things that are lost, I, I have enough um, I have enough faith to to believe that even in this little Facebook live and entourage podcast that there may be someone thinking, I feel like my desire to have understanding has robbed me from a lot of moments of experiencing the Lord. And I just believe the Lord wants to set you free from that right now in the same way that He's challenging me in this season to walk in freedom through faith, not understanding. <laughs> we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And so I just want to I want to pray for for you in and if this is ministering to anyone in, in particular or you need prayer for a particular area, you're welcome to to direct message me, uh, to private message me or call me and I would love to pray with you personally. Um, but I feel like to move from being an onlooker in a crowd uh, where Jesus is to then being the person that's at the feet of Jesus, experiencing the power of his presence, um, that all comes in choosing to surrender understanding and and embrace embrace faith and um, it's not anything you don't know it's not anything I don't know but it's something I've had to be reminded of the past few weeks so uh, just join me in prayer as I pray for all of us that our need to experience Jesus would be greater than our need to understand everything everything else Heavenly Father I come before you and I thank you that not only did you send Jesus to reconcile us to you, but then you sent your Holy Spirit, a helper, a comforter, a spirit of truth to live inside of us so that we might, um, we might walk in power, so that we might walk in freedom, so that we might recognize Jesus as that spirit bears witness to Jesus around us. And do I understand all of that? No, I do not. But the book of Philippians says that, that you have a peace that is greater than understanding. So in my own life, I surrender that need to you. I surrender the need to understand why you do what you do or why you don't do what you don't do. And I just ask that you would replace that with peace. The same book of Philippians tells us that to rejoice always, um, to bring our thanksgiving before you, to make our requests known to you, and that following that, that peace comes down that surpasses understanding, and then it guards our hearts, where those, those questions of the Pharisees lie, the why questions, in our minds, it guards them in Christ Jesus. That's what your word says. So we stand on that. I pray for anyone right now that is also just saying, uh, this is my request, Lord. I surrender my desire to understand, and I request that that be replaced with a greater hunger for you, that I would have the heart of a beggar before you, not a Pharisee. I thank you, God. I thank you that you hear the prayers of your children. We pray this according to your will and according to your word. Thank you for your peace. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. We gather for our monthly worship gathering open to any woman who has interest the second Tuesday of every month at the Monterey in the Arts District of Durant, Oklahoma. 